Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your word, which is life-giving, and we can never exhaust it. It is life-giving. As we sing in a song, sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. And your son, Lord Jesus, was the word that came to this earth. The word became flesh. God the Son became flesh for us. And he was in the beginning with God. And we pray that he would be and you would be with us this afternoon as we look into your word, as you've blessed us already this morning with it. Open our hearts, our minds and understanding. And not only to understand, but be willing to do, to be wise in doing so. We ask these things and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Having said that, um, I would like, with the Lord's help, to go back to Colossians chapter 1, which we had started last week, and maybe go into a bit of a deeper dive. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul's epistle to the church in Colossae. And I'm just going to read a few verses and expound on those in a little bit depth. Because last week I sort of went through a a big panoramic view of it. But let's um, turn to Colossians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace, but grace be unto you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is into all the world and bringeth forth fruit and it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth as ye also learned from Epaphras our dear fellow servant who is for you a faithful minister of God who also declared unto us your love in the spirit And for this cause, we also, since the day we heard of it, cease not to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to to his glorious power unto the all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, 
whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. I'd like to stop reading at verse 17 and may the Lord bless the reading of his word. You know, when the scripture says here, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. When you think of all these different powers and, and um, beings and forces uh, whether it's in the earth or above the earth or below the earth, it says in other places. You look at today's headlines and, and it's becoming more and more prominent because of the media we have, the imagery, the so-called documents that are being declassified by the US and so forth of all these unidentified flying objects, UFOs. Have you seen them lately? They've got them on video, they say. And all these things are coming up and the scientists are now saying that uh, one scientist is saying she is convinced that it's 100% there are other aliens out there. Now, I'm not saying there are, there are not. But I can see how they can make a lot of money doing that. In some ways, it's a fantasy to say there are other aliens out there that live on other planets or, or parts of the universe. But one thing is for sure, there are other beings in this universe apart from humans on this earth. And the scriptures define a lot of these beings as being fallen angels, angels that were cast out of heaven. If you go into, was it Revelation chapter 12? A third of the stars were taken down with the devil when he was cast out of heaven. And where did he land? He landed on the earth. And he ended up in the garden with Adam and Eve. And he bit, if you will, humankind with his venom, with the, the deceitfulness that he had. And humankind then sinned. And all of humankind, the first humans sinned, and then all of humankind fell just like the, the third of the angels that fell with the devil, then all of the humankind fell as well. Just read about it in Romans chapter 5. The death reigned from Adam till Moses and then on. It was through this evil power of darkness that we are in the predicament that we are today, the predicament of sin and a degenerative world. You don't have to look far. It's, it's at your fingertips. You can look and see all the evil and the corruption that is in this world. And as we've heard so many times in the past, that the warfare of a Christian is not with flesh and blood. There is flesh and blood warfare. But for Christians, the warfare is a war against the, the powers of darkness, the evil that is out there, 
And Satan uses his own emissaries. An emissary is one that is sent. The demons and angels that have fallen with him to destroy, if possible, even the very elect of God. And this, this, this scripture here talks about some tremendously powerful uh, images of not only these invisible forces and principalities, but about the one who has power over all of them. You know, if you go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians is a very powerful book on the redemptive power of God and the power over darkness as well. When he talks about uh, those that have been chosen with God, those that have been saved by the blood of Christ, are now in heavenly places. And uh, they have this Christ, Jesus, who was chosen, has chosen us before the foundation of the world, before this world ever began. He was chosen to do what he had to do, to go to the cross and die for our sins. And he predestinated us. He, give, he gave us a destination for those that believe in him that one day we will end up in glory with God. And this one built, as he promised to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, that he will build his church. When Peter acknowledged Jesus as the son of the living God, Jesus said, flesh and blood, again, he's his flesh and blood, hasn't revealed this to you. You're not warring against flesh and blood, but my Father which is in heaven. It's a spiritual realm that we are in the, for the believer. And then he says in the last few verses of Ephesians 1, which he wrought in Christ, when, verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. After Jesus did this wonderful work of salvation, dying on the cross, being buried in the grave for three days, being raised again from the dead. He's raised him up to his right hand and he's now in heavenly places. This is where Jesus is now. Far above, he's saying now, he is now far above all principalities, all realms where there is spiritual powers. He is above. It's not, this is not that we are fighting and that Christ is in a battle of equals. Christ, you know, some people say that Jesus, one particular denomination, says that Jesus is really the sort of the brother of Michael the archangel. And they're sort of brothers, they're peers, they're equals. No, they're not. They're far from equals. Michael was a created being. The archangel Michael, and he's, a, he's an angel of God, a faithful angel of God. He is a created being, and as faithful as he was, he doesn't have the power, nor does he have the, 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 the position that Jesus Christ has with God, who is now at the right hand of the Father. And he says here in chapter 1 of Ephesians, this Christ is far above principality and power and might and dominion 
that every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and has given him, this is God, the Father, has given God the Son all things under his feet, and gave to him to be the head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. This is a, this is a, a, a mag, magnificent statement that we are not just a religious body. We're not just here to do religious things, to go through rituals, just to come to church on Sunday and just to do certain things in, in a way, have a hymn, a prayer and so forth. That's all part of the way we worship God. But we're talking about a relationship with the chief member of this whole universe, the chief being of this whole universe. Does that ever strike you? To think that we are here, Christ said he will be with us in our midst, here and now. And he fills everything. Because this is what exactly what Paul is talking about to the book of, uh, in the book of Colossians to the church at Colossae. There are all these powers and authorities and, and principalities and all of these were created by him. Jesus has been given the title of the basically the king of this universe. And isn't that blasphemous to people? Isn't that blasphemous to the Jew and to the Muslim and to other religions? That this person that was a man once, that walked the earth has been given this honor. Last week we talked about what was written in Hebrews, that he is the express image of the living God. He is the radiance of his glory. This week I came across another scripture in the book of, this is the Old Testament now, where they say, well, it doesn't talk about Christ as being in the triunity of God. But in the, book of, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, just where he introduces Cyrus at the end, where he prophesied that uh, a, a hundred or so more years later, this Cyrus will liberate Israel. It says here in 44, verse um, 26, Sorry. Let's go back up before. 24. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from thy womb, I am the Lord, and maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. 
You want to hear that again? I am the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I am the Lord, Yahweh, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that makes all things and stretches forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. It says we have one God. I want to reinforce that now and compare that to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Why is this important? This is so important. Because it's not just a religion. This is not just a religion. In Hebrews chapter 1, God, who at sundry times, at various other times, in various other manners, spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. I just read from one of them, Isaiah. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. There he is. He's placed on the top. By whom also he made the worlds. Not just the world. All the worlds. He created the universe. Who being the brightness of his glory, the radiance of his glory, just like the, the, the sunbeams are the radiance of the sun that come and, and shed light on every single planet within its reach, who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Colossians chapter 1. It's speaking, it's completely coherent with the letter from the Apostle Paul in Colossae. And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty and high, being made so much better than the angels, including Michael, as he had by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they all. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again when he bringeth the first begotten, here's that word again, the firstborn, the prototype, into the world, he said, All the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire, but unto the Son, he saith, listen, thy throne. This is God telling the angels, this is, this is telling the Son, this is God speaking to his Son, thy throne, O God, to, to Christ. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of of thy kingdom. We cannot, and, and some people just put this down and they can talk so lightly of it. We cannot give enough emphasis to the fact that Jesus Christ was not only God revealed in the flesh, but he is part of God, the Trinity, the triunity, the Godhead, Galatians says, uh, Colossians says later on. He is part of that triune God that has 
being promoted, if you will, over all of God's creation. And then you go to Corinthians 15. Then you go to Corinthians 15. Look what, what he says in Corinthians 15. This is going to be the, at the culmination of all time. For as in Adam, since by, since by man, verse 21, Corinthians 15. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Which man? The second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, came the resurrection from the dead. And this afternoon we were having a discussion in the basement concerning Thomas Jefferson. You know, they said that the Constitution was all built on the Word of God and it was that we, we need to keep that. Well, guess what? Jefferson, I don't know what president he was. He was number whatever he was, second, third, fourth. But he didn't believe in the resurrection. He didn't believe in the redemption. He didn't believe in the saving blood of Jesus Christ. And yet, he, he was some kind of a theist, some kind of a, had a form of godliness about him. And he ripped out pages out of the Bible because they, he didn't agree with them. And he made his own Bibles, if I'm not mistaken. We have to understand that the Word of God is pure, it's true. And anyone that takes away or adds to that Word, to him shall be taken away and added the plagues of this book, Jesus said in Revelation. And he says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, the first fruits from the dead. What does that mean? Other people, other people were raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he died again. And he's going to be resurrected again, this time by the power of Christ, by the Holy Spirit, when he comes back again to receive his own. Then cometh the end. Now the end's going to come. The, the whole culmination of human earth uh, life as we know it now. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of, to God and even the Father when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. See, God has given Christ all rule, all power, everything. And in the end, he's got to be ruling as such until he has put all his enemies under his feet, until the devil is finally defeated once and for all and cast into the lake of fire. And then Christ is going to take everything that God gave him, all the authority, all the power, God the Father, and he's going to take all of this and lay it back at the feet of his father. He's going to lay everything down at the feet of God. This is something that is way too much for us to fully understand, even a little bit, if I can say. But we are living in a world that is just constantly fighting against the Lamb of God, the Christ, and one day all the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And then the Christ 
will present everything to God. Can we in any way not want to know more about this, not want to be any uh, be a part of this glorious this glorious plan of salvation and redemption that Christ has for his own. Why was Paul writing this to the Colossians? He was saying, by him everything consists and he holds everything up by his own power. Everything. Not only does he put the world into spin, but every he is, if you will, directing the events of this world. He's, he's upholding life with his hands on a, continual, on a continual basis. There could be a, come a time when God could just say, I'm letting go of everything and everything will collapse. And it will. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2, that God is, if I can paraphrase, God is withholding evil. There's going to become a, a, a leader in this world that would try to assume the throne of God, to sit in the temple of God as if he was God himself. <coughs> he's a man of perdition, the son of perdition. And God will withhold his, his ability to have power over the world until that which is in the way be taken out of the way and he lets the rest of history unfold to the culmination that we read of in 1 Corinthians 15. God is upholding and suspending and, and containing everything in his own direction and power, but he is allowing certain things to happen at certain times. Remember when his mother, when Jesus' mother came to Jesus <coughs> and says, son, uh, they've run out of wine at the wedding. Like, what are you going to do about it? And he says to his mother, Woman, what have I got to do with you? His time has not yet come. You think God could not, in one blink of an eye, completely solve all the problems on this world? Just, just destroy all his enemies at once? Of course he could. But God is working with, with fallen human beings. God is working with, with fallen uh, angels. And the way he directs and, and, and choreographs, if you will, the events of history is so that he will get <coughs> his purposes achieved in winning souls unto Christ freely, voluntarily, as Psalm 110 says, that in that day they will serve him willingly. He's not going to force anything upon every, anyone because he's given all of us a free will. And he's chosen in his own way to direct when Christ would come to earth, when he will finish his miracles, when he will die, when he will be buried, when he will be resurrected, and when the disciples will follow him and over centuries give their lives over for the sake of the word and the gospel so that many more sons will be brought unto glory. <coughs> he was saying this because in the church of Colossae, there were these people that were saying other things. And we'll get to that when we get to chapter 2. Because 
He has to now battle those people that try to mischaracterize God. That Jesus Christ was not really God in the flesh. That Jesus Christ really wasn't crucified. That Jesus Christ really wasn't divinity. And there are many religions on this earth today, even the so-called people that believe in God, believe differently. Even Christian, quote-unquote, denominations will go around. We got someone yesterday at my door. I was upstairs, but if I would have come down, I probably would have spent two hours at the door with this, this couple that come by and tell them to try to tell me that, that Jesus Christ was not God, the Son. Jehovah Witnesses. That he was just another man. Like the Mormons say, he was not God, the Son. He was just an angel. And like the Muslims say that he was not the Messiah. He didn't die on the cross. God could never die on the cross. That would be sacrilege for God to die on the cross. So they exchanged him. They put Judas up there, if I'm not mistaken. One of their theories is. But they believe he's a prophet. They can't deny all the things that he did. But this is what people do to delude millions and billions of people on this earth not to accept the fact that Jesus Christ is God the Son. That is probably, whether you believe it or not, one of the most important doctrines in the Bible. Because God could accept no other sacrifice than to have himself in the form of his son on the cross, dying for our sins, shedding his blood. The perfect lamb of Exodus had to be without blemish, had to be without spot, had to be one that was meek, a little lamb, a baby lamb that was a pet of the family. And he was slain for the sins of the family, of the people. This is the Jesus Christ the son of the living God who came meek and mild and, and lowly in heart, he said. And when he was reviled, he reviled not again. Like a lamb before his shearers, so he was dumb. He opened not his mouth, but he was led from prison and from judgment and slain at the hands of the people that wanted his blood. The God of the universe. I must read Philippians 2. Because <clears throat> it speaks again along the same lines. Philippians <clears throat> chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, verse 5, which also was in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, thought it was not something to be grasped at or taken advantage of or snatched at, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto the death of the cross. And that's why the Jews rejected him. What kind of a Messiah is that? That's why the Muslims reject that. Who could, who could be crucified in the, on, on a cross? God could not be. Wherefore God also highly exalted him 
and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, yes, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is not a religion. This is the worshipping of the greatest being in this whole universe, God himself. It says even the angels of God should worship him. Isaiah 44 said, God alone, the Lord, created everything by himself. That means it had to be Christ. If you're going to, if you're going to compare apples with apples, if you're going to call, compare scripture with scripture, and it says God himself, and the scripture says in Colossians, and the scripture says in Hebrews that it was Christ who made everything, then A equals B, Christ and God are one. And I'm so passionate about this because even in our circle, some people are beginning to believe, oh, I don't understand it, therefore it can't be true. How can, be, how can God and, and Christ, how can the Father and the Son be one? Well, they are. They're one in substance. They're one in glory. They're one in, in love, in truth, in spirit. One, they weren't one and one came along eons later. They were together from the very, if I could say there's a beginning. There's no beginning. They were always together. Three in one. That makes him God. And Paul is writing to these Colossian believers, not that they had already yielded to temptation to these false teachers, but they're being warned it's coming. If you don't keep your eyes open, if you don't keep your ears open, if you don't pray to God, you, you could fall and be susceptible to the temptation of these false teachers that are coming around that you'll see in chapter 2 of Colossians. <coughs> he commends them. He says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Why? Since we heard of your faith, in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. We are continuing to pray for you. We don't want you to be corrupted. We don't want you in any way to be misled or deceived by what's coming down the road for you because your faith has been known. Your faith has been experienced. Your love has been experienced by, and the world is seeing this. Don't spoil it now. Now, brothers and sisters, we can't stand by and just watch it happen because we are part of that, that body of Christ that is in this battle royal and Christ is fighting for us. He's won already. We just have to follow him. We have to be as you'll see later on, in the same frame as Ephesians, it says later on we've got to put the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. We've got to equip ourselves for this, this, this cosmic battle that's going on, not the battle for flesh and blood. And he's encouraging this church 
Remember who you're serving. Remember you have one on your, t- your side that has already won. He's, he's above everything else. We just have to follow. May the Lord bless the word to him be the glory. Amen. Brother, please. <clears throat> I just want to read from a hymn that we often close with and that was alluded to and mentioned this morning. Hymn 213 from the Zion's Harp. The grace of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us always with us always. Amen. This concludes our service.